Good evening and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah, and I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage. And tonight, we continue our series on the life of Joseph. If you would like to join in the conversation or if you have questions or would like to pray with someone, please give us a call. Our studio phone number is 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, today marks the 21st anniversary of 9-11 at at the end of the church service this morning, you had a really good word about the people who needed to be saved on that day. Can you share part of that word with our listeners? Yeah, it was absolutely an incredible evacuation of 500,000 people in a mere nine hours. One of the greatest mm. and most rapid evacuations of such a large amount of people, perhaps in, in human history. And it was the U.S. Hmm. Coast Guard that sent out the alarm, all available boats are needed at the southern tip of Manhattan. And so many responded, and I believe over 150 boats were used to shuttle in and out of those people hmm. who were stranded in lower Manhattan that day. And that no doubt saved many lives. And it reminds us, though, Micah, that people need to be rescued. Many yeah. people needed yeah. to be rescued mm -hmm. that day. And yeah. We all need to be rescued from our sin and from spiritual death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, this is a very always a somber day to remember and to think about what happened. Yeah, and I, rem I just read actually a story I had never heard before about the security guard, the head of security for Morgan Stanley, and how even he was in the second tower, and even when they told them not to evacuate after the first tower mm. was hit, you know, he immediately went to a work evacuating everybody, and he just got everybody out, and in the process, he lost his life. And so, you know, it just reminds us again of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Somebody somebody died on 9-11 to help a lot of other people to get saved, and what a better picture than um, the one that we have of Jesus doing the exact same thing, but in an eternal and much more profound sense. Absolutely. And, Micah, we might as well just mention the elephant in the room. If, if Micah to our dear listeners, if Micah sounds like he's far away, guess what? He is. <laughs> Micah, why don't you let everybody know where you're actually broadcasting with us from tonight? Yeah, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Fairbanks, Alaska. I've been in Anchorage all week, and then me and my dad just flew in this morning to Fairbanks, and it's beautiful here. The leaves have already started turning. Uh -huh. um, it's golden and green, and it's really pretty up here, but I am quite far away from you guys. Yeah, just stop making us jealous, you know, telling us how beautiful it is out there in Alaska. But listeners, I want you to know as you hear Micah's voice tonight, and and though he may sound a little bit different, not coming across in the clarity of a of a studio, his voice comes with love and dedication because he certainly doesn't have to be doing the radio program tonight. He could be doing other things and, and seeing the beauty of Alaska. But he, And, Micah, we really appreciate your dedication to the Lord and oh, the yeah, Heritage of Faith Conversations program. And uh, it's, it's great to be here with, with you tonight. And it's great to be here with our studio guest. We have with us Sister Esther Hahn, 
who, back. of course, is here every week. Good to have you with us, Esther, back. It's great to be back. Okay, and, of course, you're here every Sunday, but usually doing the call screen and overseeing that. But we're always glad to have you on. And this evening, we have with us, for the very first time, one of our wonderful members of Heritage Baptist Church, Sister Bailey. And so, Bailey, oh, Esther's like doing jumping jacks. She's so excited <laughs> that you're here tonight. And we all are. Bailey, welcome to our program tonight. Thank you, Pastor Matt. It's good to be here. Yeah. And, and what brought a girl, uh, uh, a nice, sweet lady from Nebraska uh, to this rough and tough city of New York? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so in 2009, I thought that it would be the coolest thing to live in New York City. And I wanted to work in book publishing. So God allowed me to do that for about seven years. So I came here, like I said, with a one suitcase and a duffel bag. Uh, because God had provided a furnished room for me, so I thought mm. I had a lot saved up and that I could come <laughs> here, but he worked everything out. So it was, uh, it, was a it was like our missionary who said today, if you came to New York with $1,500, is that you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you, Bailey. It's a, it's a real joy to have you, and, and uh, you love the Lord. You love his word. You've been a faithful student in our Heritage Discipleship Institute now for a number of years, and and you're just a, a humble servant of God, and we really appreciate you. So tonight, we are going to get, dear friends, into the chapter of Genesis chapter 40. And the theme of our study tonight in Genesis chapter 40 is surviving and thriving through injustice. And before we read this chapter, though, I have to give a shout out to one of our longtime members, He's, he's getting a bit up in age, so it's harder for him to get out. I told him we were, I was going to give him a shout-out tonight. So Mark, Mark Langley, who lives not far from here, actually, in downtown Manhattan, thank you, brother, for being faithful to the Lord. Keep strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Mark, and we love you, and we'll see you soon. But we're going to read Genesis chapter 40 tonight as Joseph survives and thrives through injustice. And uh, Esther, why don't you start us out as we begin reading Genesis chapter 40. Sure, Pastor. So verse 1 says, And it came to pass after these things, that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. And they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in his hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. 
Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou was his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. And yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among the servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Okay, well, let's pray as we begin. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that every word is important for us. So help us, dear God, as we study in Genesis chapter 40 tonight and see that though Joseph had done nothing wrong and suffered this injustice, he not only survived, but he thrived. And so, Lord, lead us and guide us. And thank you for Micah being with us from Alaska. Thank you for Bailey. Thank you for Esther. Thank you for every listener. We even pray for our brother Mark Langley that you'll strengthen him tonight in his weakness, and Lord, give him your peace that passes understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as we look at this chapter of Genesis chapter 40, and Joseph really here in verse number uh, 15 underlines the injustice that he went through, where Joseph says, and he's true, he, you know, a lot of people might be in prison and say, I don't deserve this, I didn't do anything wrong, you know. Well, Joseph could actually say, I don't deserve this, I didn't do it. And he says, I have done nothing that they should put me in this dungeon. But in spite of that injustice, and here's what we see in the story of Joseph, we see God's active and personal involvement and intervention, both directly and indirectly throughout his life. So I want to repeat that because I think it's important. We see God so personally working, actively working. And we see him, his involvement and his intervention. And you stop to think about that. Nine billion people in the world today. And we could say the same thing about our, our lives, right? Yeah. That God is active. And he is personally involved. And he intervenes. Does he intervene in our lives? Is, doesn't he... Does, isn't he involved in our lives both directly and indirectly? So his involvement is not always direct. 
It's sometimes indirect, such as in this situation, by the people he puts around us. He shows himself to us. So God is at work throughout Joseph's life, guiding everything that occurs for his own glory. And the other thing I want to say, just as we begin tonight, is I want to go to Psalm 105 and verse 18 and 19. And that is an amazing verse that shows the sovereign intervention of God. In Psalm 105, verse 18 and 19, God's Word says, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. So who sent Joseph to Egypt? God did. But how did Joseph end up going to Egypt? What happened? His brothers sold him (laughs) into slavery. So even though it was Joseph's brothers who wickedly and sinfully abandoned their brother... Yet God says, from his perspective, that he sent Joseph to Egypt. In other words, Joseph had to get to Egypt some way, and God used that means. That's an incredible thing. So the Joseph story forces a response. I mean, we're outraged. There's a sense of outrage at the obvious injustice. But then we're amazed at the way God works everything out for Joseph. He could be cruelly treated by man, but God has a sovereign perspective. And if we could ever keep that in our hearts and minds when we go through really bad situations, I mean, when people treat us really badly in life, if we could see that God is still active and personal, involved and intervening directly and indirectly, Everything for his own glory. So I just wanted to uh, share that as we kick this off tonight. And we want to see three encouragements now as Joseph survives and thrives through injustice. And the first encouragement is this. is It's that the lowest point in your life may become a turning point. The time in your life where you just seem so down, defeated, and discouraged that you're in an impossible situation, lonely and disappointed, that lowest point in your life can be a turning point. And there's people under the sound of my voice tonight. Maybe you're at that point. And we want to give you an opportunity. Give us a call, by the way. You can call us right now at 929-333-3739. That number is 929-333-3739. And we want to pray with you and for you. And we have loving call screeners who will bear your burden. Maybe you're at a low point in your life, but this can be a turning point. How how encouraging is that? So, So Esther, Bailey, Micah, what do you think about that? Have you ever experienced a low point in your life that that became a turning point? And what did you go through? And and how did God turn things around uh, for you? Uh, Esther? Yeah, um, I totally get the turning point. And so just to give a little bit of a testimony. Um, So my lowest point for me was the year I started grad school. Mm. Um, There was the first death in our family here in America, right? We immigrated, and so there was the first death. And that was my uncle who passed away from stomach cancer that summer. I started grad school at the end of the summer, and within um, a month, uh, my grandfather passed away from liver cancer. Mm. Um, My grandmother was grieving and would drink herself to sleep uh, most evenings after dinner. 
Uh, my baby cousin ha- was living with us and um, was less than a year old and living with us. And so each night the ritual for me was we were eating dinner, we'd clean up, um, I'd bathe him, then I'd put him to bed around 9 or 10. And then I would have to study um, for my grad school. Uh, my mom was disabled with a mental illness and so was not very helpful during the evenings. Groceries, errands, um, I often took my cousin with me because I actually couldn't trust my mom with him at home. So at 24 years old, um, I really had a peak of what it looked like to be a single mom and taking care of my grandmother in her bereavement. Um, But I wanted to defer a year from school, but my grandmother said, no, 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 keep going to school. It'll be okay. After a few months, though, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, I just felt so alone. I actually wanted to escape this life that I never asked for. I never Mm. asked for any of this. And I really had these strong thoughts of suicide. Mm. Um, So one night I was really at that point. I was just really, you know, Lord, I can't do this anymore. Um, But the Holy Spirit, right, I was alone and he convicted me. He's like, God is with you right now. Mm. And all of a sudden you just just feel him there, that presence. And there was a burning in my heart. And for all you Sunday school teachers um, out there, like literally I have voice of a junior high school Sunday school teacher speaking to me something she had said to me. Um, And even at the time, I didn't even think it was that important. But she said, like, suicide is the ultimate sin. It's the ultimate way of telling God that you know better than him about your life. After that, I'm alone and I'm just weeping and I vowed I would never consider it again. And it's been 25 years. I have never thought about it again. And since then, um, what was important to me after that, just to get out of that, was to take one day at a time, put one foot in front of the other, deal with each circumstance or trial as it came. The important thing was I found a church, and I made sure I didn't miss a Sunday. I attended the weekly Bible studies, and eventually the pastor got to know me, and he said, um, you know, I really recommend Christian counseling for you, and which I did finally start after um, I finished all my professional training. Um, but it was a life-changing time for me to do all that counseling, and it became a turning point for me. Yeah. Because literally after that time, I then entered another difficult stage in my life, but it was different. I felt better equipped, better, better armed, you know, bringing Christ into that situation with me. Mm-hmm. And I was even joyful at times. Um, and mm-hmm. so it took several years, but I think for me, just faithfully walking with Christ throughout of all of it, you just learned that lesson. And it's just, yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, well, that's very deep, Esther, and very personal. And thank you for, for sharing that. And listeners, I hope you understand that it's not easy for anybody to share those kind of personal trials that Esther just shared. But but thank you, Esther. So through that, though, you you did keep going to school. You didn't stop. No. Do. Just one day at a time. Yeah, you just started to take one day at a time, and mm-hmm. and then you you forged away. You were able to become an eye doctor yeah. in spite of going through that kind of, of dark period. Yeah. And then God also gave you victory. But it's important, like you said, you stayed in the Word. You yeah. stayed in fellowship. You didn't withdraw. I think a lot of people, when they go through things like that, that then they feel alone, then they they isolate themselves even more into loneliness, and that that obviously is 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 a, a tactic of the devil. He doesn't want us to to isolate even more. Mm-hmm. And so, praise God that you you reached yeah, out amen. to the Lord and got involved in a in a good church. And again, dear dear ones. Maybe you, you can really relate to what Esther just shared, and if we could talk and pray with you, give us a call right now at 
888-900-3839. Billy, did you want to share any kind of experience that you went through, a low point becoming a turning point? Yes. One immediately came to mind when you asked that question, and that was last October when my job instituted a mandate and gave us a very short deadline to comply or be fired. I think we had a week and a half. So I had already decided that I you know, had very strong convictions about not wanting to comply, but the hardest thing for me was that I loved my job. You know, it wasn't the money. It wasn't the health insurance. It was just God had provided this really... Great job that I loved. I was so thankful for him. I loved my bosses. Shout out to Shelly if you're listening. (laughs) Um, So the hardest thing for me was knowing that I would have to leave behind so much unfinished work because I felt like that was so unfair to my bosses and to my coworkers who had Mm. been so good to me. Um, But the way everything unfolded next, God's hand was on it totally i remember going um our office building was near pier 17 so i went there on my lunch break and was just sitting there looking at the brooklyn bridge and all the ferries going by and tourists yeah. taking selfies and just thinking god what is next i my whole future it was just blank i had no idea um but the way god worked things out he let me do mm-hmm. a religious exemption request which was ultimately denied But um, just the process of that dragging out a little bit, I got to work longer. So that was the first answer to prayer was being able to finish more of my work before I had to leave. And then um, the other privilege was, you know, working for the city government. There are all kinds of uh, philosophies that are being promoted, you know, that are not biblical, (laughs) you know, not godly. So to be asked to be required to kind of prove my faith by writing this exemption request Mm. i was like this is so cool i'm (laughs) able to quote bible verses and talk about jesus and then my first one got denied so then i got to appeal so i got to say (laughs) even more and pastor you wrote an amazing letter of support for me so i just thought it's so cool that Pastor, you and I got to have this audience with Mm. people who Mm. probably think very differently from us. And, you know, maybe I don't know who read it, um, who ultimately denied the appeal, but I prayed for them. And that was a privilege, too, that God gave me a desire to show kindness Mm -hmm. to the people at my own office who said no to me, um, to be able to pray for the people who were considering the appeal. And then the most incredible thing is that God handed me a job. Um, the most it's a a dream job it's just such a blessing I didn't submit a resume I didn't have to provide references he you know and I think that was God's way of saying I will do all of this for you this is nothing you can take credit for Um, so he he turned it around and there's the verse in Proverbs that says the blessing of the Lord it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it and that describes to a T what God did for me, because there was that, no sorrow. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful testimony as well, Bailey. And you know, I'm no fan of this coercive, these coercive mandates. Which thankfully they're backing away from them. But still, even on this 9/11 day, we we celebrate, if you will, we remember the sacrifice of police officers and firefighters and EMT workers, and yet. A number of them in our city lost their jobs Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't surrender to these mandates as well and and so but thankfully 
God worked that out for you to, to get a good job. And, and I know your new boss a little bit, so if you have any troubles with him, you let me know, okay? I'll, I'll keep him in his place for you. But, um, but again, listener, maybe you've lost your job, or maybe you have a friend that lost their job. I, I, there's someone in our church who lost their job because of the mandates that I know and still not been able to find an adequate employment. So we do need to pray for one another through this, and we need to see that these low points can become our turning points. Micah, did you want to share? Uh, well, I don't necessarily want to share a story about me because uh, I feel like I get that opportunity every week. But I just think that for both of the testimonies that were just shared, which were so powerful, um, you know, it just shows you what God can do in a life. You know, with Esther, you know, who's a very good friend of mine, um, you know, there's a, probably a moment within that time period where she said, my life is never going to change. It's never going to get better. I'm never going to get out of this. But, you know, she can look back now 25 years later and say, wow, God has worked in my life and he's blessed me so much. And, you know, I have a ministry even myself. And so, you know, God really did bring her through that. And then with Bailey, I just think, you know, what company, you know, I know Bailey well enough to think, you know, what company or what city would not want her as an employee? And, right. you know, the city's loss was somebody else's gain. And I won't say who, but um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing how God has worked in both of these women's lives. And they're both faithful servants of the Lord. And so I'm just encouraged to even just hear the stories. Yeah. A number of years ago now, maybe four years ago, I started really uh, praying these prayers, beautiful prayers in the Valley of Vision, which is an old Puritan prayer book. And the very first prayer of that is, it, it says this, and it reminds me of, of this idea of a low point. It's, and the prayer is, Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. In the de- and the deeper the well, the brighter the stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow thy glory in my valley. And so many times the lower the valley, the lower the well, the deeper the well we're in, the brighter the sun of God can shine in our lives. And so dear friends, don't give up. So let's let's get more into the text here. And and Bailey, as we see Joseph in this low point in his life, and that's really what we're talking about, the low point of Joseph being in a prison we don't see God in these verses. God is not, from what I see, at least in these first few verses, I don't believe he's referenced here. God is not speaking here to Joseph. We don't hear the Lord say to Joseph, Joseph, I am with you. Be not afraid. You know, We don't hear his voice like that. But when God is silent, is he absent? That's the question. When God is silent, is he absent? Hmm. No, I would say capital N-O, because yeah. God is never absent. He's always working. There's a um, the verse in Ephesians that says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. So I think that's why it's so important for us to believe in God's sovereignty and his goodness and to interpret what's happening in our lives through that lens. So even though God is silent in these verses, um, he's not being quoted but what did Joseph know about mm. God just, you know, up to that point in history? So he knew 
a lot of really powerful things. He knew that God is the creator. He knew that he made man in his own image to have a relationship with him. He knew that sin separates people from God. He knew from the account of the worldwide flood that God is holy and he punishes wickedness. But he also knew, um, was it 10 men that God was willing to spare if 10 righteous men were found in Sodom and Gomorrah? So he knew that God was merciful and long-suffering. And he also knew about the covenant that God made with Abraham. So that is a lot of very rich Mm. personal knowledge um, that he had with him in prison. So here he is, he's falsely accused, he's in prison, but he knows God's ability and faithfulness. And I believe that that knowledge sustained him and gave him a godly perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and and another thing as well, God was silent and he wasn't speaking, but he did promote Joseph even in that difficult situation. Mm -hmm. And so just like God provided a job for you and, and Esther, you sense God just leading you to take that one step at a time. But God promoted Joseph so that he was given authority, if you will, even though he was in that dark place. And then he put two people into that prison. So, dear friends, when you think, what is God doing and and why is he silent in my life? Ask yourself, what people has God placed around me? And perhaps God will use those people that he's put around you to show himself strong on your behalf. Philip Yancey, I believe, in Disappointment with God, tells the story of a Christian who was in the infamous Dachau prison camp during Hitler's uh, wicked regime. And he said that he had heard others say that a man could undergo torture if he knows the why of his life. But Christian Reger learned something greater. He said, it wasn't that I just had to understand why, because sometimes we don't and we never will. Christian Reger said, I learned to know the who of my life. And the who of our life in the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. And... He and we, although we may not understand why, we can know that he is good, he is gracious, and he's he's working for his glory, and we can trust ourselves to him. And and then he said this, Roger said, that God was enough to sustain me then and is enough to sustain me still. Yeah. So, uh, Esther, as Joseph is in this prison... It does seem he has, it's amazing that he keeps this positive attitude, right? He has such a positive attitude to be able to prosper in such a dark place. So, so although Joseph was in this difficult place, this prison, how do you think he prospered in the midst of that dark time in his life? Yeah, he had such a great attitude. As I was reading through this passage, there's two things that struck me about Joseph in this difficult circumstance. The first is that God had mercy upon him um, in showing that the keeper of the prison found favor in Joseph. Um, In the dreariest of places, Joseph blooms, he flourishes. He saw his circumstances through the lens of God's will and presence. 
and you know I really relate mm. to that part but like I shared before um, that's so powerful but even in chapter 39 we see like God had mercy he prospered wherever he was the second thing um, which I also took to heart and took as an example for my life is Joseph took one day at a time and each day performed his duties well yeah right? so Colossians 3:23, right um, and what's whatsoever ye do do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men and Joseph um, had a remarkable faith and knowledge of God he had like a childlike trust in God and you know when he had co- he showed compassion to the chief butler and the chief baker and he asked them you know why are you so sad so he he did his duties well right they were under his care he wanted to know why they were sad and this brought out an opportunity which later would bring would help him but he didn't use this opportunity to feel sorry for himself he didn't quietly mm. quit and do the minimum he had to do to just get through the day so he you know that's why god had mercy on him and showed favor and i just thought that was yeah there wasn't any self-pity in joseph's no. life here and and that is such a common human reaction. And I raise my hand and say guilty, you know, guilty mm-hmm. as charged. Sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves. But as it said, when you have a pity party, you're the only one that shows up, right? <laughs> Micah, did you want to share something here? Yeah, I, I think it's important to recognize that um, suffering and prospering are not mutually exclusive. So everywhere Joseph goes, he prospers even when he's suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, and he suffered for, yeah. you know, something something like 13 years. So. Whether he was a favored son, a slave, or a prisoner, we see that he is always prospering and always elevated to a powerful position. And as Esther said in Genesis 39 at the end of the chapter, it says, The Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And that's an interesting statement to be thinking that, you know, Joseph is in prison, but God is prospering him. And I I believe that this prospering was at least for two reasons. So one, I thought that it's God. It was God's will to prosper Joseph um, because He chose him to go to Egypt, eventually rise to power, and ultimately save his family. And the second reason Joseph prospers because he lived a life that was pleasing to the Lord. He loved God. He trusted God. He lives a holy life, and we saw that in the last chapter. So prospering often happens in the midst of suffering, and it's our job to live for God either way. Uh, James chapter 1, which we're studying in our men's Bible study, Iron Sharpens Iron, it reminds us to count it all joy when we face trials in life because those trials build our patience, and through the process, we are sanctified and perfected. Yes, and one of the the moving books I've read in my life is Corey Ten Boom. I think probably a lot of us have read her, A Prisoner and Yet. And in that book, she, she so beautifully stated that you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And Micah, that was a great point that you made, that just because we're suffering doesn't mean we can't prosper. And just because we're, and God has called us to prosper, but that might be through suffering. Mm -hmm. And they're not mutually exclusive. But through either, whether we prosper or whether we suffer, we must learn that Christ is all we need. And sometimes, like Corey Tenboom, she really learned that when Christ was literally all she had. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to go to a song, one of a, our beautiful love songs of this day in Christ alone. And we hope that this song will be a blessing. Our phone line is open for you to call right now for prayer at 929-333-3739. Get to us right now. 
comfort to our souls. We're looking tonight in Genesis chapter 40, Joseph surviving and thriving through injustice. And we've said that the lowest point in Joseph's life became a turning point, And so can it be in yours, dear friend. And the second thing we want to really focus on, the second encouragement is that we must refuse letting the hard situations 
harden you. Refuse letting those hard situations harden you. Keep a tender heart to the Lord. He's working things out for his own glory. And again, our phone line is open at 929-333-3739. And Micah, we have to maintain a yeah. tender heart to the Lord because he is working things mm-hmm. out. And how does Joseph display that unselfishness and compassion to those around him, even when he was in this awful circumstance? Yeah, well, Pastor, earlier in the program, you mentioned that it wasn't as if Joseph wasn't grieving his situation while in prison. We get a glimpse of that in verse 15, where he says, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also, meaning in prison, have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon? So while a lesser man would have grown bitter at the Lord, counting a long list of grievances, Joseph did the opposite. Instead, he serves the Lord. He goes out of his way to care for his fellow prisoners because he trusts that the Lord was caring for him. So Joseph has real compassion on those who he oversees, and specifically here in this passage, the king's chief butler or wine taster and the king's chief baker. And this reminds me of how Jesus, even though he was hated and wrongly accused, had compassion on all those around him, even going to the cross for those who put him there. Yeah, and, you know, through our study on Joseph, we talked a number of times about different types and and even hear how Joseph is a type of Jesus in showing compassion and self-forgetfulness in his in his sufferings. So what what are other types uh in this passage that you see? Yeah, well I actually saw some pretty astounding ones as I went through. The two prisoners, the butler and the baker, they definitely give us a prophetic hint of the coming Messiah through their jobs and through the imagery in their dreams, the bread and the wine. So this butler has a dream of the vine and the branches, and that of course points us to Jesus who said, I am the vine and you are the branches Mm -hmm. in John chapter 15. And then the baker with his dream about the baskets of bread, he also points us to Christ who said, I am the bread of life in John chapter six. And again, when Jesus serves his disciples, that bread and that wine at the last supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So when Joseph pleads with the butler at the end of the chapter, remember, remember me, remember him. He says, um, even that takes on some new meaning. Um, There's also the instance where one prisoner is set free by the king of Egypt while the other is hanged. And this might remind us of when Pontius Pilate leases one prisoner, prisoner Barnabas, from prison while sentencing sentencing Jesus to be crucified or hanged on a tree, as Peter phrased it. And lastly, the number three is repeated nine separate times in this passage. So each time it represents three days. And there's no more famous time period than three days between Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection. So in a way, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of both the baker who is killed and the butler who on the third day is restored. So there's even more than that, but it's amazing to see that this story is just filled to the brim yeah. with Jesus. Yeah, and I, well, and I thought of really the, the two men, the butler and the baker, being two criminals mm-hmm. with Joseph as well. Uh, there were two criminals with Jesus, one on yeah. either side, and one was saved okay. and one was lost, if you will. And here we mm. see one was saved in physically, and then one died uh, physically as well. So yeah, there's so many interesting parallels. Uh, that was that was that's very interesting, Micah. Thank you. So, and Bailey, when when Joseph is in the prison, it's not easy to get your eyes off yourself, you know, and and to look at the needs of others. But 
But that's what we see in Joseph as these two men dream a dream and they were sad, right? They were sad Mm -hmm. because there was nobody to interpret the dream as it says. So Joseph, he saw them. So we see, as Joseph said, and it says, behold, they were sad. And Joseph looked at them and he says, wherefore, wherefore look ye so sadly today in verse number seven. And this also kind of reminds us of Jesus. It reminds me when Jesus saw the two on the Emmaus road after he rose again. And those two on the Emmaus road, remember, they were going back home. And and Jesus asked them a similar question. He said, why are you sad? So just that same question that that Joseph asked these men in that prison, Jesus asked those two on the Emmaus road. I don't know, but do you think there's a connection here? And, And how can we apply these sadnesses, if you will, of of these two duos of men, the two in prison with Joseph, the two on the Emmaus Road uh, with Jesus. How can we apply this to to those times where we're sad? Mm, Well, one thing that stood out to me was at the end of chapter 39, it says that Joseph was overseeing a lot of prisoners, all the prisoners. So the fact that he Mm. noticed these two men looking sad you know he's noticing all these people so it's not like it's just the butler and the baker and he their faces are the only ones that he has to look at so he shows compassion to them Um, and I think the way that Jesus asked a question of the two people on the road to Emmaus um, it just draws them out and lets them express what they're feeling and what they're worried about Mm -hmm. and Um, I love the way that Jesus opens their eyes and Luke in his gospel says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets Jesus expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself and the reason I love that is this is exactly what comforts me when I'm feeling sad or confounded is just to be able to open up my Bible and Mm. see how everything points to Jesus. And I just want to quickly read um, a couple verses from Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it goes on to say, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Bailey. You know, when I think of the two on the Emmaus Road, those two had disappointments that seemed to have no solution. And when people are in situations like that, there's sadness. The two here with Joseph, they had dreamed a dream, and so they had questions with no answers. And when people are going through situations and they have questions, but they can't figure out the answer, like, what did that dream? That's really why they were sad too, Mm -hmm. right? It's interesting that they had a dream and they, they didn't understand it. It made them sad because maybe, well, they knew that it had some, you know, some practical application to their lives, right? So 
the amazing thing about Joseph, again, it, when you're in a situation like that, it, you, you might want to just complain, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, murmur about your circumstances. But Joseph isn't murmuring. Like you said, he has his eyes on other people, and, and he's noticing, like you well said, Bailey, he has all these prisoners to care for, but he focused in on the needs of these two new new prisoners. It seemed they were more may, maybe newer prisoners mm-hmm. in, the, in the situation. And, and so he asked them a question to draw out from them. And so that's, that's a very practical strategy for anyone who's going through a dark time. Look at the people around you. Stop complaining if you're complaining and murmuring. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. But have compassion. Look and see the people around you and ask them questions. And see how you can help others in their situation, as Joseph did. And so ask questions of people and, and find out how, uh, what other people are going through. And, and see how God could use you to help them through their situations. The phone lines are open here at 929-333-3739. Just have a few moments left, but uh, Esther, let's move ahead here. How does the way that Joseph interpreted their dreams remind us how we also should speak the truth to those in our world? Yeah, you know, Pastor, um, I was um, I was amazed um, by him because Joseph spoke the truth. He didn't sugarcoat anything, and I think it's hard because he had to give good news to the butler, and he had to be um, firm with God's, you know, interpretation that was given to him, and he ha- he did not hesitate to give bad news to the baker, you know, so he's prophetic, and he knows he has to say God's words as it is, right? So as we go through each day, um, as it says in Second Corinthians 2.16, um, we might be a savor of death to unbelievers, or we could be a savor of life to believers in Christ. So we need to tell the truth, right? We need to not sugarcoat it. We need to say as it is. And, yeah. you know, if if an unbeliever doesn't believe and rejects God, you know, you have to be real about saying you will go to the lake of fire. You will die and be in eternal death. And so to not fear that. Joseph would not have been a good prosperity gospel preacher. No, he I mean, would not have. I, 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 think, I, I don't think Joel Osteen would have said what Joseph said to, to, the, to the baker, right? Joseph, Joel Osteen's message is the same to everyone. Something good is going to happen to you or something like that, you know? Um, but, but really for, for that baker, something bad was going to happen to him, and he needed to know it and have time to prepare. At least he had three days to prepare with Joseph in his life. Mm. And perhaps Joseph, I'm sure, could help him through that. So he gives good news to those who should hear it, and he tells bad news to those who need to hear it. And some people need to hear both things. Now, Micah, way far away in Alaska, we at least had you on Zoom. Now we don't even see you on Zoom, and now we're hearing certain sounds. Micah, are you there? Sorry, okay, I'm there, great. Esther. Uh, okay. I'll just talk. Don't. Yeah, don't yeah. Go ahead, uh, Michael. Why um, don't you weigh in, and, and if you have anything to say from what you didn't say previous, go ahead. You're on. Uh, sure. No, just just thinking of uh, 
Joseph and how truthful he was. I used to actually work with somebody, and more than one time he said to me that his first instinct was to lie, and his second instinct was to agree with people. Mm. So that sounds crazy, but I think the underlying emotion was this fear of being rejected that he had. He was adopted when he was very young, and that may have been part of it. But he thought that if he always told people what he uh, what they wanted to hear, he could avoid conflict, and ultimately he would be pleasing people. Well, that's the opposite of how we're supposed to be as Christians. Our first instinct should be to tell the truth, and we should only agree with people when they are standing in truth as well. So Joseph is a wonderful example of someone who had hard conversations when he had to and also spoke the truth. Um, it wasn't always easy for Joseph, and it's not always going to be easy for us, but the Christian life isn't promised to be easy. Ephesians 4.25 tells us to put away lying and speak every man truth with his neighbor. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, Micah. That, that is so true. And in this life, there's, there's, there is life, and there is death. And death is a reality that we all have to face up to some sooner than others and so that this baker died it doesn't mean that god didn't love the baker or that he loved the butler more than the baker i i don't read it that way because guess what was going to happen to the butler one day (laughs) he was going to die too eventually and it is appointed unto man once to die and what is our life it is a vapor that just appears for a little time. So we all have to prepare to meet God. So we're looking tonight at Joseph surviving, and not just surviving, but thriving through injustice, and how the lowest point in his life became the turning point, how he refused to let the hard situations harden him. And the last thing, and very simply in that last verse, even though Joseph pleaded with the butler, remember me, remember me, I pray you, think about me when, you, when it shall be well with you. It says, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph. (laughs) He forgot him. So even though you plead with people, they still forget you. So when you're forgotten by man, we must keep our expectation in God. That's the third encouragement. When we're forgotten by man, keep your hope and expectation in God, dear friends. Don't put your hope in man. You might plead with him. Remember me. Think about me. Show kindness to me. But they forget you. So how does Joseph deal with this? And how can we find encouragement from how Joseph was forgotten by the one he helped? Bailey, why don't you weigh in on this first, how Joseph dealt with being forgotten? So I think it's all about perspective. And like you, the quote you read before about knowing the who will get you through any trial. So I think for us also as Christians, um, I just want to point us to our eternal hope in heaven John 14 1 through 3 let not your heart be troubled ye believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also Thank you, Bailey. Thank you, Esther, for being here tonight. It's a pleasure. And sharing. Micah, thank you for being out there in Alaska. (laughs) Yeah, good to be here. You're free to enjoy the beautiful outdoors up there while we go pound the the concrete here in lower (laughs) Manhattan. And, dear friend, remember that whatever pain you're going through, pain properly handled 
can shape you for something great. And remember that history is full of souls whose struggles and scars laid the foundation for success. Good night. God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.